In my uh, personal walk with the Lord, I tend to take three steps when God takes one step. That's the pace I do. I'm, I'm very often faster than God. I quite often think that I'm way smarter than God. <laughs> uh, as a result, very often, I look back and getting frustrated at God. Um, why are you not catching up? Things are happening. Come on, come on, God, come on, pick up. Um, but then there are these rare moments, very, very few moments, where God jumps ahead, runs way ahead of me, and a mile apart, and looking back at me, Matthew, what are you doing there? Come on, come on, be, pick up the momentum. Now, this season at Lake Avenue Church, I feel that's where I am. I am panting, and I'm frustrated that I can't catch up with God because God is miles ahead of me. This thing we call rooted, and some of the statistics you hear uh, is out of this world. And I've been in this pew for 10 years, but there are people who are in this church for 69 years, you know, so these, have, these are authentic historians, right? They come and tell me nothing like this has ever happened at the, in the church. So we have, it's, we have some statistics, I believe. We have over 1,000 people becoming part of the rooted movement already. And that is a couple days old, so I think the latest number is 1,100 people or so are registered or being part of the rooted groups. And then over almost 120 groups already functioning. And I get frustrated call from people. I was, we were trying to sign up for a rooted group. There is no room. Now, uh, now that's the kind of complaint I like to receive, okay? When we had this conversation in Pete's Cafe, maybe six or seven months ahead, my best bet was we will form around 30 groups and we will have around 300 people sign up, and that was the best estimate. You know, that, that would be my, that was my metric. Now, the irony of this, and if you ask me how much time I spend on Rooted in my, you know, assigned time as a senior pastor, I would say less than 5%, because it is such a volunteer-driven, congregation-driven movement. Pastor Bill Bean spends a lot of time, but most of the people who are really creating this and being part of this, it comes from a very grassroots level uh, sort of a movement. That's what God is trying to do. Now, here is another kicker. And you would be wondering how much money we are spending on this, you know, all these T-shirts and tote bags and all that. And the money we are taking from the general budget for this is zero dollar because this was not a budgeted item, this was not a planned item, but a generous donor came along and said, I'm going to write a, a check for all the, everything you need, including the books, and it's all very expensive. But even that generous donor didn't really think that we are going to buy around 1,000 copies of these books. But 
<laughs> Once you say yes, then it is a yes, I guess, you know. <laughs> so, so I want us to really feel what is happening around us and be part of what God is doing. This is not something that I have concocted or a leadership team sit, sat around and planned. God is running miles ahead of us right now. We better catch up, okay? Now, in the last two weeks and today, I'm going to close our series called First Foundation. Now, I said there are three things that are going to be very, very instrumental as we go forward in terms of the vision of the church and where we are going. And I gave you three phrases or three sentences and three and, and a picture because I'm a visual thinker. So I'm going to get that picture again because I want that to be sort of engraved in your psyche. And I want you to see that in your dreams when you go to bed because that's where we are going. So we start our journey as, uh, you know, Campus Crusade taught us a while back as the stickman figure, right? We start our journey from one end of this great divide between us and God through the blood of Christ, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, and he took us to the other side to be with God and to be with his people. Now we belong. That's what we learned last week. We start our journey by believing in his name. And then Jesus took us to the family of God. Now we belong in his family as children. Now, as I said, the journey doesn't end there. Actually, the journey starts there. We are not meant to be in this very comfortable place and belong. And I love to see you every Sunday here. But I want you to go out because there is another chasm, another great divide between church and culture. Now that is the assignment or missio dei, they call it, which is the mission of God. God is here with a mission. We are saved to serve in the mission of God. God has called us as spies in enemy territory. That's C.S. Lewis's term for our assignment in this battle zone which is raging in the culture. God has called us to model what Jesus did in the first divide, in the second divide between church and culture. So as much as this is your family, this is where you belong, but we all have to go out to bridge that divide between church and culture by modeling Christ, by becoming his image in the world. So that three things, it should be, again, etched in your mind. Believe in, your, in his name, belong in his family, and become his image in the world. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> That's all. That's, I, think you can, I think you can go home now, you know? You wish. I have more time. I'm getting paid by minutes. So, <laughs> so let's stand for the reading of the word.
I'm going to read two verses today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and then Romans chapter 8, verse 29. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as, a, as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Romans chapter 8.29, very similar. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There is a lot to unpack in these verses, obviously. But I want us to go to the heart of those verses. The central theme of those verses is essentially a call to be conformed to the image of his son. In the first passage we read, it is about Moses spending time with God, and eventually, as Moses spent time with God, he almost became like God, in the sense the glory of the Lord kind of, it was imparted on him, so they had to put a veil on his face. But Paul says that in the New Testament, we don't need this veil, because being with God, we are being transformed from glory to glory, a process to which we are called. And Paul again affirms that in Romans, that we are called to be conformed to become like Jesus on an everyday basis. Now this is a process theologians called theosis. That's the word, theosis. Theosis essentially means deification which means becoming like God. I know it's a little almost borderline heretical concept for Protestants, but Catholics embrace this all along. And it is very, very scriptural. Because as, as Protestants, we are often uh, taught to say that I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, which is true. But we are sinners saved by grace and being transformed to the image of his son on a daily basis. If you are still remaining as sinners, as great as that fake humility is, we are not achieving the very purpose God has put us here on earth for, which is theosis, deification, by becoming the image of a son on a daily basis. That's why when we are in Christ, we become a new creation. Galatians 4.14 says that Christ is formed in us. The moments we say, yes, Christ is formed in us. That's what we call born again. These are words which has become like a popular culture vocabulary in America. But these are deep theological words. And I'm born again. What does that even mean? When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit gives birth to Jesus. Galatians 4.14, go home and read, Christ formed in us. And we put on a new self. 
and the new self is being transformed from glory to glory to glory. Now that is the process of theosis, deification. And that is the process to which we are called to. Now again, the problem is that it is not like we are called to sort of mimic Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's the problem. And we are trying to become like Jesus in the back in the 90s. And there was this big movement you probably know about WWJD. What would Jesus do? That was there in all the bumper stickers and the baseball hats and WWJD. Everything we do before that, I try to do that every time before that. What would Jesus do? Will Jesus do this? Will Jesus do this? And that became an obsession, which is a good thing. By the way, I'm not critique, criticizing any of these movements, which is a good thing, but that became a movement of trying to mimic Jesus. Will Jesus do this? Will Jesus go to that movie? Will Jesus drink that particular drink? And all, 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 the, all this kind of stuff. And, and it became like mimicking Jesus instead of modeling Jesus. That's very different. See, we cannot become like Christ by just imitating him. But we, it needs to be, the Christ na nature has to be imparted on us. It is not by imitation, but impartation that we receive the image of Christ on a regular basis. I don't want to go too much theological on this, but let's come back to here. But if you want to, to become the image of his son, image of Christ, we should first know how he looks like, right? Then only we can, we can become his image. If we are the mirrors that reflect his image, we should first of all know how he looks like. So what is the real image of Jesus anyway? How does real Jesus look like? Now, I grew up in India, and the Jesus I knew was given to us by the British, okay? So this Jesus is very familiar. If you can show the first Jesus, now, you know this Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes and uh, very, uh, uh, how do you say that, very amiable, a sweet Jesus, mild, almost subservient, you know, what, you know, the, uh, the piety is the one word that comes around. Right? It almost looks like a Californian. Actually, if you, if you give him a jeans, it's somebody like, a, like you know, in Starbucks ordering a soy latte or something like that. There are a lot of, a lot of Californians that look like that if you were. Anyway, but <laughs> so it's a great Jesus, nice Jesus. That, that's the image of the Jesus I always grew up with. That's the Jesus I worshiped when I grew up. Uh, but, but the, the paradigm of that, that Jesus gave to me or the understanding of the worldview that Jesus gave to me was uh, the first word I can think of is piety. You know, being pious. Be a faithful Christian. A good boy. Go to the church. Put the money in the basket. Be nice to everybody. And that's how we become friends with this Jesus. Sometimes call, we call colonial Christ. Because that Christ wants us to be silent and be nice to everybody no matter what happens. No social engagement, right? The church and culture have this big gap 
and we will keep it that way because there is a big separation between church and culture, right? And we don't want to go there. There are people out in, the culture, out in the culture, out in the other side of the gap, and on this side, church will stand and say, come over here, come over here, we will save you, Jesus will save you. And, but it's like a Grand Canyon, like, you know, they don't know how to do. So we are shouting solutions. We do crusades and we do, we do all kind, create all those kind of resources to, 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 to shout the solutions at the culture. That was my understanding of that Jesus is the one I wanted to reflect. And that's the image of Jesus I carried. Then came the second Jesus. If you can show that picture. Now this Jesus emerged in the 1960s. There is something called liberation theology in Latin America. It started in eventually spread all the way to even in the 1980s. It caught up in India and it just, this is a revolutionary Jesus. This is almost antithetical to the first Jesus who was very tame. But this Jesus is no tame like you know he is the one who's going to change the world he is the one who's going to change the society he is going to radically alter the way we are thinking he's going to change the social structure he is going to bring gospel to the poor and the needy and that Jesus and to be honest with you that Jesus is the one who attracted me to faith because I came to faith in my late teen years and that years and if you know if you have all gone through that age and that's when you're young and you want to save the world and you're looking for a solution you're tired of religion you're tired of church you wanted to be involved you want to be engaged and that jesus actually even now is very dear and near to my heart but that jesus was misappropriated later by politicians and you know eventually there's something we call a social gospel movement you know i don't want to add add on to this kind of a political uh, tone to it, but kind of misuse. But there are some people who really, really reflected that Jesus, and I deeply respect them. And actually, today we are celebrating MLK Day, and MLK in some way, Martin Luther King Jr., in some way is a classic epitome of how that Jesus really became appealing to me. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, MLK is the most famous American in, in, in India. MLK has very strong connection with India. He attributed actually a major foundational part of his philosophy to Gandhi. And actually, I have a picture of MLK visiting uh, uh, India. And that's what he said. Christ furnished the spirit of this movement, but Gandhi supplied or Gandhi furnished the method of the movement. And if you don't know anything about Indian independence and the Indian struggle against the British, and it goes in, 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 in any record because that's where Gandhi came up with this idea of non-violence. And, and that became a methodology and without shedding any blood, of course there was atrocities by colonialization, but Gandhi decolonized India without shedding any blood. And he actually used that, MLK was such a, such a disciple of Gandhi, even though he never met Gandhi, and he has attributed. So what I'm saying is that if in this model, unfortunately, today, 
And we have misappropriated that revolutionary Jesus because I really believe that revolutionary Jesus has something to contribute to our society. In some ways, that picture, even as distorted as it might be, there is an element, but thank God, Jesus and Gandhi and MLK didn't, leave in the, didn't live in the age of social media. They didn't have to create controversy. They didn't have to get into this outrage culture and pin people against each other. See, I, ha I don't know much about American history and I will never speak about, about black experience in America. I'm not qualified to speak about it. But I know a thing of two about Christ and his spirit. I know much more about Gandhi and his method. And I can tell you the revelation, the revolution that Jesus and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. started is very, very different from the idea of revolution that many people have today. That's all I'm going to say. Because I'm very deeply concerned that revolutionary Jesus that brought me to faith, I'm being confessing here, is kind of misappropriated in this culture as, a, as an icon to sell some kind of agenda or books. You know what I mean? Now again, let's go to the Pope, but the most popular Jesus, I call an American Jesus, you know, the, the next one. Now, <laughs> this is the Jesus most popular in America and the rest of the world. And this is the Jesus we get from Christian television, right? You name it, you claim it, whatever you want, whenever you need, he's there on cue. When you pray in Jesus' name, whatever you want, put it on a list. In Jesus' name, look up. It's a bird, it's a plane. <laughs> there, is, there comes Jesus. He is going to solve all your problems. He's going to answer all your questions. And he is, the God, he is the superman, right? Now, <laughs> again, there's an element of truth to all these Jesuses. But this Jesus, increasingly, again, to fail the gap between church and culture, it's only widening. See, the revolutionary Jesus tried to bridge this gap by trying to build bridges. You know, the revolutionary people tried to build bridges in this chasm. But it is like trying to build a bridge across Grand Canyon. There is no way. It is not possible by our own effort. And this Jesus, the Superman Jesus, didn't even want to build because he had a private jet, right? Like, you know, he can fly from one chasm to another chasm, but it gets crashed in the middle. What I'm saying is, in all this, Jesus says, fail to reflect the crucified Jesus we are called to preach. That's the next Jesus. The real Jesus of the Bible, the most accurate depiction of Jesus in the Bible is that and only that. The crucified Jesus is the only one we are called to emulate. Any other Jesus you are trying, you are only mimicking him. Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. Not the Christ resurrected, not the Christ a great teacher, not the Christ a great revolutionary, no, Christ crucified. You know why? Because you can never 
ever imitate Jesus' life. You can never ever imitate Jesus' teaching, but you can and you should imitate Jesus' death. It is the death on the cross is to which we are called. And that's how becoming we receive the image of Christ. On the cross, he hung between the chasm that is bridging humanity and God. In the same way, we are called to go into the chasm and to bridge that gap between church and culture by imitating Jesus on the cross, the Christ crucified. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, if anyone wish to come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. If anyone wishes to come, if anyone wishes to be in my image, if anyone wishes to model me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That and only that is the real Jesus. That and that, only that is the real image to which we are called to be conformed to. I want to end this by saying this. You know, denying oneself is the challenge. Somebody asked me when I preached my first sermon in the series, I said, we cannot say to God that we say something and say all in Jesus' name. I said, to pray in Jesus' name, we should learn to think like Jesus. You remember that I said? And that person said, that's fantastic. But what do you mean? How can we think like Jesus? It's in the Bible. It says, have the mind of Christ. It's very easy to read, right? Have the mind of Christ. Which really means that to be learned to think like Jesus. And she asked me, Pastor Matthew, how can we think like Jesus? Even the very thought itself is intimidating, right? And I said, you know what? It is way easier than you think. It is very easy to think like Jesus. But the problem is not to think like Matthew John. That is the problem. In order to think like Jesus, we have to first learn not to think like Matthew. Now that is a problem. That is a challenge I give you. The moment we learn not to think like ourselves, like I started the sermon by saying that the moment we think that we are smarter than God and we have these ideas and we have these visions and we have these five-year plans and the 90 days evaluation plans and this metric and that metric and this is all good. But at some point, we deny. We say no to our own way of thinking and then the mind of Christ will be automatically formed in us. So I told her, let us learn to think, learn not to think like ourselves. That's what Jesus said. Deny oneself. Deny your own way of thinking. Deny your ideology. Deny your picture of me. And then surrender, like we sang today. I surrender all. Each time I sing that song, I feel like the worst kind of hypocrite in the world. I surrender all, really. 
really <laughs> great song. <laughs> if you really sing that song, you will automatically think like Jesus. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to listen to any preacher preaching. You really have to learn to sing that song from the very core of your being. I surrender all. I, I, I decide from today not to think like Matthew John. Then I will learn how to think like Jesus. Then I will be conformed to the image of his son. And in the Bible, this is another word I want you to learn. This is called kenosis. Kenosis. Theosis was the first word, kenosis, which is called self-emptying. This comes from my favorite verse in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Told this many times, and I'll say it again. That's my favorite verse. Philippians chapter 2, here it says, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. That's where the word comes from. Kenosis. He emptied himself. Being, becoming like a born servant and being in the image of man. And becoming in the image of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the point of death on the cross. Now that is the Jesus we are called to follow. And that self-emptying, the process of kenosis to which we are called to. And that's how we become the image of his son. I'm going to invite the worship team back right now. But I'm going to give you an exercise, a prayer exercise here. Last two weeks, we closed with a prayer time. And this time also, I want to close with a prayer, prayer time. And I want you to remember... Without kenosis, there is no theosis, okay? Without learning how to self-empty ourselves and carrying the cross of Christ, we can never experience deification confirmed into the image of his son. For that, we have to, we have to tear down all those posters of the of the, of the colonial Jesus and the communist Jesus and the capitalist Jesus and whoever you have on the wall, you have to tear them down and put the crucifix there and say that I empty myself. I empty myself of my ideas and ideology and I'll be confirmed to Jesus so that this kenosis will take me to theosis. Self-emptying will allow me to become transformed to the image of his son. This is what I want to do. I want you to, in your mind, enter into that chasm, in that, that gap between church and culture. See, I want you to think about, think of one person in your life who's not really a Christian. Can you think? I'm not going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you to make I'm, going to, I'm not going to make you do anything weird today, so don't worry about it. It's all a mental exercise, okay? <laughs> so think about a person who's not a Christian, who doesn't understand this faith, who doesn't understand the joy you experience. 
Maybe he, he or she is part of that cultural institution which is far away from God in Hollywood and, or, or, or JPL and Caltech and these are amazing cultural institutions but they are all on the other side of the chasm. You are called to be the bridge right in the middle. And I want you to enter into that chasm now. Imagine that person on one side, okay? That person on your one side. And imagine Jesus on your other side. Now there is this big chasm. You can see, right? There's a great abyss between Jesus and that person. Can you feel it? Can you feel it, right? Now I want you to enter into that gap. This is called the ministry of intercession. It's a Christian word we say, right? Intercede. Intercede really means, inter means between, and seed means go, which really means go in between. Don't sit there and start preaching to that person. Don't try to build bridge. There is nothing you can do in your own effort that can bring anybody to Christ. But I want you to enter into that chasm as painful as it is, because you cannot build the bridge, but Jesus called you to be the bridge. Don't try to build it. Don't try to help these people. But be Christ to them. <laughs> be the image of Christ. The image is on the first chasm, right? Jesus stood like this between God and humanity. That's the image we had to follow. Now here is the other chasm. Jesus is not there yet. You are supposed to be Jesus there. I want you to be stand in the middle, get into the abyss, and stand there and hold the one hand of that person and hold one hand of Jesus. Really, right now. I want you to do it right now. And you are in the middle. I want you to picture. It's a stretch exercise. It's painful. It's painful to stand like this. It's very easy to stand like this. It's easy to worship like this. But this... Intercession, go between, is a painful, painful process. And I want you to, in your spirit, to hold one hand of that person and to hold one hand of Jesus. Talk to both of them. That's your prayer today. Talk to both of them. Introduce him to Jesus. Introduce Jesus to him in your mind. I'm going to give you a minute or two to do that. That's our prayer today. Lord, we surrender all. We really do. We really do, seriously. All our budgets, our plans, 
our bylaws, everything that we've been planning, everything we've been thinking, you're surrendering to your feet. To be caught up in this mighty movement of the Holy Spirit you have created in our community and beyond. May us not be cursed for stifling this movement. May us not become irrelevant like the colonial Christ on one side of the chasm and shouting solution to the culture. May us not be lost in our own devices by trying to build a bridge like the communist Christ, what's happening in this world. Trying to create a revolution from our ideologies. Oh, may we not be like that Superman Jesus trying to preach a message of prosperity and go oh, there is prosperity, but Lord, we want to be part of the solution that you are making in this world. That's our surrender. That's what it means to us. So here we are right in between church and culture, stretching our hand, Lord, and use us as your bridges. Use us as your images in wherever you go, college, in our workplaces, wherever we, you send us to. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.